Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. My name is David Lally. I produce the show. And today, Brian and Beverly Buffini will be answering your questions we've received from all manner of social media. We've got lots of great stuff to cover. So let's dive right in. We've got questions from some clients and some people that follow you on Facebook. Brian, the first one is from Barbara Wiley. As a successful family, how do you keep your kids humble and grounded and not feel like they're entitled? It sure seems like you've accomplished that, but how would be a valuable lesson? How do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, obviously, it's a day-by-day process. It's a lot of work. Our children did not come out of the womb as these fantastic little angels that had it all together. It's a process. You got to remember to not to put a middle-aged head on a teenage body, for example, <laughs> and expect that of them. I think those are a couple of principles that we have in raising our kids that have worked very well for us. Perfect kids, nope. But are we very happy with our family? I think so. And I think the number one thing that has been relentless has been the commitment to infuse the concept of gratitude into our kids, mm. starting with please and thank you, yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir. Again, I've shared this many times. We fly to Hawaii regularly. And, you know, Beverly get on the plane and she's fighting like D'Artagnan fighting a battle to get on the plane. She's trying to get on, trying to get on, all the things going on. And she gets on the plane and she has a list of hundreds of things she's not getting done Here's what they're not getting achieved. Here's what the kids are not doing in school. Here's where the, you know, I've 400 times I've told this one particular kid to brush his teeth. And this morning, he's looking at me, why do I need a toothbrush? It's like a foreign object, you know? And so... She's 21. Right? <laughs> and we get on the plane, and we're flying to Hawaii. And this has happened how many times? Dozens? Many, many, many times. And the flight attendant will say halfway through the flight, your kids are amazing. I've never met kids like these. And we'll say, Why? they're just so polite we just don't see that anymore Mm. now i'll be honest with you i don't think our kids are that extraordinary i think things have slipped and so the basics are considered extraordinary we get the same in restaurants with waiters and waitresses i believe gratitude i mean cicero said this that gratitude is not only the greatest of all virtues it's the parent of all others Mm -hmm. and you've heard me say this many times i've shared with our clients you know, the amount of people who do business with somebody and never take that extra moment just to thank the client for the business, to write the personal note, to say they appreciate it. It's common sense. It's just not common practice. And what's happened is you have to be relentless with it. So gratitude is this beautiful term. It's this open-hearted concept. You have to be relentless with it. Here's the thing. When our kids were small, they weren't getting fed until they said thank you. Hmm. Somebody says something. We wait there. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? We've been saying, what do you say, for 24 years? And not only that, I mean, when we mention this to people, they think we're talking about when our kids are 14, 15, 16, 17. Mm-hmm. We're talking about when we used to travel a lot and the kids were two years old. Yep. I mean, we had infants. We yep. had a five-year-old when they were eight. We've had all the you know, ages, just so yeah, you know. Yeah, we've had all the ages, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it began then yeah. um, when we were on planes or in restaurants because, again, we've talked about this before in the Love and Marriage podcast but what we talked about was how we communicated and set a blueprint from the Mm -hmm. very beginning and even with our children not just with our marriage but with our children that blueprint that framework that we wanted to work in so it was never the terrible twos it was the terrific twos Mm -hmm. and it was when they were two years old it Mm -hmm. was like teaching them how to say thank you through sign language before they could even speak you know or even as when they started eating you know maybe 12 months even sometimes Mm -hmm. it was like thank you Mm -hmm. you know for your meal or something like that so Teaching them gratitude, appreciation, mm-hmm. courtesies, and manners was a part of our blueprint. When we traveled on airplanes at age two, age three, age four, we really tried to encourage them to be thankful and courteous and polite. Mm-hmm. And actually, it wasn't an option to be otherwise. No. Um, yes. we really... Mr. Quigley. Remember Mr. Quigley? Yes, what was I the do. Song? Please and thank you. Please and thank you. Please and thank you. Are polite. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. Yes, I do remember. And on and on it goes. Wow, that was yes. awesome. In the last podcast we did, I'm pretty sure Beverly said she couldn't sing. There you That's go, see? Definitely not the She case. does harmony. She's very nice. good harmony. He covers me well. Thank uh, you. But, you know, the, the, I would just say... It's like this. 
I think there's a toughness it takes to be positive in today's world. Mm. Okay, the positive person is I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And the cynic, the Simon Cowell caricature, is the smart one. Mm. It is a tough character that can stay positive through all the things that life throws at you and stays optimistic and stays enthusiastic. There's a toughness to that. Mm-hmm. Gratitude sounds like this optional, sweet thing. I'm going to say this to you. You've got to be relentless because a grateful heart is an open heart. Mm. And at the end of the day, what we were always after was the heart of our kids. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it is not possible to hold in your heart entitlement and gratitude at the same time. You can't be both grateful Mm. for all things and then complaining at the same time. You just can't. Now, it doesn't mean our kids don't complain. They get that from Beverly's side of the family. Naturally. Absolutely. True. (laughs) We're working on this now. The the point is, it doesn't mean our kids go, oh, why can't we do this? Of course they do. But it is a relentless pursuit. We are unified in a relentless pursuit. Oh, by the way, more is caught than taught. So when the kids see us being thankful to one another and appreciative to one another, that's where they start. The next thing is it's insisted upon for them. Now, if somebody was listening to this podcast today and they go, I know that, but I've blown it. And I've got some teenagers that are looking at me sideways and this and any other. You know, to me, at the end of the day, okay, you, there are consequences for our actions and there's consequences for what we do. But it starts by leading from the front. Mm-hmm. There's and, always hope. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There is. And things can change. And so appeal to the mind, appeal to the heart, and then demonstrate. And be relentless in it. And let them see it. Here's the thing. You know, my very first seminar that I gave was in San Diego County. And, of course, I started out, and it was all real estate agents at the time. And one of the things I talk about is writing personal notes and thanking people for business and so on and so forth. So there's seven or 800 people down in San Diego at this event, almost all of them in the real estate community in San Diego. And there was a question and answer session. And this one lady stands up in the back of the room. I can't quite see her. But she was a person who works with realtors every hour of the day. She wasn't a realtor herself. She was with a company called American Home Shield, which provides home warranties. And basically every realtor will put home warranties on all the homes they sell. Mm. So she's the top gal for that company in this area. And she stands up and she says, a lot of you people want to know if this stuff's for real or not today. She goes, I've been in this business for 24 years. I do thousands and thousands of transactions every year with all the people in this room. She goes, I want you to know the guy on stage is the only person in 24 years that after every transaction wrote to thank me. She goes, I've never gotten a thank you note except from him. Gosh. Now, by the way, what was wild about that is... At the end of that time, there was a line out the door for people to sign up for coaching because all of a sudden this person validated the process. Right, right, right. The fact of the matter is it's rare. Hmm. In my business, I talked about how I worked in an office with hundreds of agents, and yet the secretary, the receptionist of the front desk, bought a house with me. Hmm. Why? Because I wrote to thank her. Years later, when we started developing this training and coaching company, Neil Armstrong spoke at our event. Neil Armstrong hadn't made a public appearance in 15 years. How did... Neil Armstrong come to an event to speak to realtors back in 2002 because mm-hmm. I wrote him a series of personal notes and it was so rare to him. And as you well know, David, in the hallway in this podcast studio is a letter from Neil Armstrong to me where he says, I have not been used to being treated this well. Everybody on the planet likes to be appreciated. Mm-hmm. Everyone on the planet likes to be thanked, which means I value you and I appreciate you. And it is such an expansion of the heart. And I'm going to say this. I believe, you know, I know there's hundreds of parenting questions that people have. But if you get the gratitude thing down Mm. with your kids, and they never have it down. They're never done with it. Uh, Like all of us, as much as I'm a grateful person, I forget it all the time. And we get busy, we get, and then you get comfortable with it. But I'm going to say, if you get the gratitude thing down, everything else will change. It Mm. just represents so much that everyone has value. Right. And that's what it teaches our children. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome, guys. Uh, Valisa Linian asks, your kids are incredibly goal and success oriented. Mine are nine and six years of age, and I'd love to know how you helped them learn goal setting and what age you started them at. When did the indoctrination begin? Before they were born, because we had a blueprint. (laughs) Nice. No, our kids are around us. 
Okay, so first of all, we're goal oriented. Mm-hmm. So they've seen our life. Um, they've heard their father. They've listened to audios, videos. They've watched DVDs. They could easily miss it all at the same time mm-hmm. if we weren't intentional right. in putting it before them. So because we have desires and goals and a vision for mm-hmm. our family, we make sure that we include those things in their lives, such sense. as DVDs, videos. And when we communicate to them, we ask them, what do you want to do in the future? What do you like doing? It's everyday engagement when mm-hmm. there's opportunity. So a lot of it's looking at opportunities to find out what their interest is. I know you almost 20 years, Bev, and yes. there are times when I'm like, oh, no, the the conversation's about to happen. <laughs> the questions are coming. It's not far <laughs> you guys, away. You don't do small talk. You know, you tend to get to the heart of the matter, so it's yeah. not surprising. Yeah. The goals are, are big. I think, again, the kids are too busy watching what you do to listen to what you say. I think the other part is, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, I have this kid who's great because he's doing this and this and this. How do I get the other one to be like that? Mm-hmm. And after about three questions, I find out that the kid that's great is just like the person who's talking. Hmm. And the other one is this different person. And so, you know, we have kids who are all athletic, right? So we have a, a college football player. We have a national champion horse rider. We got two kids that are hoping to play college basketball. We got two girls that are just stud volleyball players, all from the Irish side of the family, by the way. Naturally. And, uh, but here's the thing. They're completely different people. Our twins are completely different people. Mm-hmm. And the key component is to look beyond yourself and realize that it's what motivates them it's what is important to them. It's what they're into. For example, we're going to London this year to a Star Wars conference. Now, I can tell you that I'd rather have my teeth drilled without Novocaine to go to a Star Wars conference. But here's what the deal is. We have one of our kids in particular who's in the Star Wars in a big way. Now, all of our kids are in the Star Wars, but this kid is in the Star Wars. He builds these magnificent Lego models He's into this like you can't believe. Hmm. And so he comes to me and goes, Dad. And he's two years waiting for this opportunity. you know. And he's like, Dad, I know this is a reach, but I would love to be able to go to the Star Wars conference in London in July of 2016. And it's like, okay, all right. Well, let me think about that. Let me talk to Mom about that. And then we sat down and we got the rest of the family involved. And we said, okay, great. So this is the goal. Here's what we need to do to make that happen. By the way, here's what we need to get done at school, and here's what Dad needs to get done in work, and here's what we're doing around the house. You know, we're not interested in going to a Star Wars conference. I mean, that just would never be on our bucket list, (laughs) you know. And so here's what's happening. Our two middle kids are making costumes. They've gone and done the research. They're doing their chores. They save their money. They're saving their money to buy the gear. They're using tools. They're doing this. They're doing that. And it's this whole project for a year to get to this place. Here's the thing. Intimacy. Intimacy. Mm -hmm. Our son Adam is really into Star Wars, and we're really into Adam. And because of that, we're into Star Wars. That's awesome. I can't stand computer games. Mm -hmm. I cannot stand them. I have no interest in them. I have no patience for them. But on occasion, I will sit down, and every time it's like a new day, like an Alzheimer's patient, (laughs) and X does this and this, and I'm dead in about eight and a half seconds. But we go into the movie theater, we put it on big screen, and Dad gets blown away for about 25 minutes. I'll play a video game with him, because that's what he's into. Mm -hmm. So we have fire-breathing dragons as kids that are, like, just on fire. Just, they're gone. You just got to try to direct them. And we have mothers that that are so laid back that, um, I mean, we have a kid who's more laid back than any pot-smoking reggae act in the world, okay? (laughs) I'm just telling you. True. The Rastafarians are wired compared to this kid. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. It took us years to find out what he was into. It took us years. A, he wouldn't tell you. B, he didn't know. And it'd be very easy to go, he's lazy, he's not with it, or whatever else. And bit by bit, bit by bit, building the bridge, building the bridge, it's worth it, it's worth it. And next thing you know, we find out what motivates him. Mm. It turns out he might be our most competitive kid. He might be the most driven of all. He's the kid that when he loses, it tortures him. Yeah. But you wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that casually. You wouldn't know that first, second, third. It took years and years to figure that out. 
it took years and years to figure himself out. And I'd say the key in this process is when you don't know where your child is at, when you don't see them motivated or inspired by anything, is to just encourage them. Mm -hmm. It's easy to just say, oh, you don't want anything. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with you? And the best thing to do until you know how to lead them and equip them and direct them, encourage them. That's great. Build them up. Try to find interests for them because a lot of times they don't know. How many adults don't know what they want to do right. yet? And right. they're adults. Most of us. Most of us. Hey, we got to be patient, right? Love yes. is patient. I mean, Beverly mentioned in our last interview about me speaking at this wedding. Up until that very day, I had been terrified of public speaking. Why? Because my father was terrified of public speaking. Now, I'm an Irishman. I can tell a joke. And in our family, you have an audience. We had eight people. So everything was an audience every night. But I was terrified of public speaking because my father was so terrified by it. My father would go to extraordinary lengths because on occasion he would be asked to do something. He would never do it. It never happened. So I was terrified of public speaking. And the day I'm in my 20s and I'm all of a sudden I'm, I'm in front of a group of people and I find I can do with 300 people what I can do with five people in a room. And it was identical for me. And by the way, as you know today, I can have 10,000 people in a room and mm -hmm. they come out saying he was just talking to me. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't be frustrated with a 13-year-old who doesn't know that's a gift inside him. Right. And right. where Beverly's word here is to keep encouraging him. Mm -hmm. One day, if you keep showing up and you keep chipping away and you keep doing stuff and trying stuff, eventually you're going to find something that really, really lights you up. And it'll light you up your way on something you're interested in. And here's the thing. They might be 50 years of age before they find what lights mm -hmm. them up. And you might be gone as a parent. Mm -hmm. You might have left this world. But those words will still resonate. Mm -hmm. Ogmandino, his mother told him, you're going to be a world-class writer one day. It's what he wanted to do. It's what he dreamed of. But he got distracted. He ended up in a bad place. Ended up in a tough marriage. Ended up in alcoholism. Ended up almost committing suicide. And it was years after his mother was passed away, he heard her voice saying, you're going to be a world-class writer one day. Mm. Ogmandino eventually became, while he was homeless, mm. the editor of Success Magazine. Jeez. Ogmandino sold 50 million copies of his books in the last half of the last century. So those words of his mother never went away, those encouraging words. You've got to be committed that we all want to see mm. it now. Oh, my gosh, my kid is a violin you know, genius at four. We're all looking for the Tiger Woods factor. Mm -hmm. Or we're comparing ourselves mm. so much and our children so much to other people or yeah. the neighbors or the Joneses. And it really takes courage to say our family is who we are yep. and we're going to direct our children in this way and mm. this is what we see in them. And we're going to encourage that, you know, if it's different than other people, if it if it doesn't happen until later on in life, it right, doesn't right. happen at age eight, it happens at age 15. Mm -hmm. There's so many variables you know, to helping and equipping that kid or that child to reach their goals. And it's not a once yeah. and done thing. We were at a social event here recently, and there was all these parents sitting around, and their kids were all graduating and trying to get into these colleges that they dreamed of, right? And this one girl's, yeah, she's got a 4.6, and she can't get this, and this one's got a 4.7. And, and, all, and I didn't know the were fours, by the way. I thought I didn't <laughs> think the numbers went that high. I didn't even know what a four was, to be honest with you. I thought it was something when you hit a bad shot in golf. But the pressure these folks are under and what they're trying to live up to. And here's the thing. What the frost? I've met 4.7 students who went to college for four years, came and interviewed with me, and were as thick as a post. Mm. They couldn't do anything. Never had done anything. We get caught up in this comparison. And, you know, we get on this treadmill. We do things because everybody else does it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... In the States, it seems to be this sovereign right that everybody goes from high school automatically to college. We question that all the time. Mm. All of our kids know, hey, you go to college, we're all in favor of you, but you, well, what's the purpose of going there? You know, if it's the party to find yourself and go drink out of a bong, <laughs> we're going to go introduce you to the job market. Mm. Our daughter Anna, she's riding horses. She's gone at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'll be doing an interview with Anna in here. If I could get our clients to work about 40% of what Anna does, they'd all be millionaires. She's doing college online, 7, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. That's her path. Hmm. So you've got to find out what is truly the interest of a kid. You've got to really connect to them. You've got to build that up. and say, okay, what has Legos got to do with anything? You know, some kids, you know, and I know there's some questions about the whole electronic stuff. There's some value in that. Hmm. There's some value in the electronics. It's an electronic world. Now, it's also the biggest addiction in the world today. 
But again, it's about connecting. Mm-hmm. You know, if kids are doing tech and getting isolated, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. If kids are doing tech, come alongside them. Okay, let's do Snapchat together here. <laughs> By the way, they'll get off that electronic tech real quick. That will ruin Snapchat in about two seconds. In about two and a half seconds. <laughs> that probably answers a question that Judy Grubb had. I'd love to hear how you guys handle electronic games with your kids. Do you have specific boundaries around them? Every time I bring up the subject to relatives or friends, they all say it's just the way it is now. Don't worry, they'll grow out of it. I see it as such a huge problem in many ways. Well, I think that's living life without a blueprint, once again, and without a framework. It's being intentional and not letting life happen to you. Again, just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean that's how you do it. So if you haven't set or if we haven't set a plan on what we want to do, what we think is important, what we value, and don't get me wrong, our kids are right there too. Mm -hmm. If they could be on that thing all day long, they would be on it. Xbox, PlayStation, their phones, they'd be on it all day long. And do we have battles with it at times? Yes, we Mm do. Do they get upset when we say no? Yes, they do. But that right there tells me there's a problem, Mm -hmm. you know, when they aren't ready to say, you know what, I've had enough. Mm -hmm. They've never said that, by the way. You know, they've never volunteered (laughs) to put these things up. Oh, man, you know, that was great. (laughs) That last four hours. Thanks, Mom. I'm tapped out. Yeah, that's enough. That's all I want. We've never heard it. I don't think we ever will. Well, you've got to set boundaries. And here's the thing. Let's get into a different topic, which wasn't asked, but that's my bailiwick in life is we're around a lot of sports teams and we're around a lot of parents and what we see a lot of is that people parent out of fear and that people are afraid of you know it seems like our generation in this time you know the baby boom generation came along after the world war ii generation and the world war ii generation was the john wayne strong silent types suffered in silence not as in tune not as emotive not as huggy not as affectionate and so along with the massive growth in that psychology became the number one degree taken in the United States universities. Mm. So now everybody's aware of psychology and how things work and how things interact. Everyone is so freaking terrified of messing up their kid that their kid's going to be in therapy, which is, by the way, a guaranteed way to get them into us. <laughs> you know, there's a quote that I have in a, in a recent book which says, a person becomes successful because of the adversity they have overcome. Then they proceed to remove that very adversity from their children's lives. We have a good friend who runs a florist business here down in La Costa. It's a third-generation florist business. I went down to see her the other day. I get flowers for my bride regularly. So I was down there, hey, I want something special for Beverly. It was at the end of graduation season, which is the end of prom season. Now, she's been doing corsages for 40 years. And she looked me in the eye and she says, my God, i got to get out of this. And I go, do you not like it? She goes, I am just sick to my stomach. She goes, I make good money when I do this. We've been doing this a long time. She goes, I have got these freaked out mothers here night and day about wanting to perfect these corsages because this and this and that and and freaked out about their daughter's dress and freaked out about this and freaked out about that because they're playing defense. Mm -hmm. They're playing defense because it's all about pleasing your child. It's all about pleasing instead of parenting. And here's the thing, you know, uh, we've told our kids, our goal in life is not to be your friends. Our goal in life is to be your parents. Now, we believe that if we're their parents, eventually they're going to be our friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our son, AJ, went through a a tough time, was off the rails, uh, wanted to be in a certain relationship, and it was not a good relationship, and Dad ended up holding the line. Hold the line, hold the line. He said to me here a few months ago, he goes, Dad, there was a time I really didn't like you, but I'm sure glad you stuck to your guns. Mm -hmm. He's in a great relationship today with a wonderful woman he's married to and yada, yada, yada. But he was, he was going off the rails. And dad hung in there for him. Mm. And mom hung in there for him. And so we want to please. We want our kids to like us. Yeah, right. We don't want to damage our kids. We don't want them to end up in therapy. And so we don't want them to overcome adversity. You know, we have kids that aren't getting playing time on a competitive travel team. And the parents are coming in going, I think my daughter's suicidal. And it's like, What? You know, just like people sideways and mm. so much drama and so much. And it's all this drama because the helicopter parent dynamic is I'm afraid that my little Johnny or my little Jane's going to be hurt. And so what I'm going to do is be a complete spaz monkey and try to control the environment so that exactly what little Jane or little John wants is going to happen and needs to happen. 
and we are ruining our kids. And so we weren't really going to talk about this, and there wasn't a question <laughs> asked about this, but I'm going to say we see it all the time. Yeah. People come to us for advice all the time. And we keep saying, you know, like, for example, when Beverly's coaches a, a number of teams, she's fantastic coaches, her teams play great, and they win, which is what everyone values in America. What we value is what she's doing with the kids in the meantime. So we have a kid. She's not starting, but she gets to play sometimes and whatever else. She's improving her practice. Beverly's given into her, you know, really giving her energy, giving her time, instructing her, helping her get better. And so the parents, you know, of course, freaking out and so on and so forth. She says, hey, she needs to grow through this. We're going to come alongside her, but you can come alongside her too. She gets to come through this. Here's the thing. If she goes to a job and she's not very good at it, she doesn't get to keep that job or prosper right. in that job or do well. If she owns a business one day, she that, that's not how the world works. Mm. So we try to protect our kids the whole time. We give them participation trophies. We want them to feel good the whole time. And now here's what happens. They get to a place where they're not prepared for life. They're not equipped for life. And challenges are coming. And adversity is coming. And all of a sudden, adult challenges hit them. Sometimes adult challenges hit them because they're immature at a young age. And now all of a sudden you get an immature person who's not built for challenges in very severe challenges. Mm -hmm. And now you have crisis on your hands. The fact of the matter is, there was a poem years ago. Do you remember that? There's not enough mean moms. You remember mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. And yes. the mean mom is the one who said no to our kids. Yeah. And that's the yeah. deal. Hmm. We need to have moms and dads that say no, that love enough to connect, that you know, champion enough to pursue the goals and pursue the dreams and pursue the heart of their kids. And then when they see them getting off the rails or doing the things they shouldn't be doing, holds the line. Yeah. I think Brian is so right on as far as communicating that. At times, we as parents don't understand that we have the authority to parent our children Mm -hmm. and train them and equip them. And I think the toughest part, and it hasn't always been so black and white Mm -hmm. on every decision that we've made Mm -hmm. with our children. And I think that's where a lot of people have challenges, is actually having wisdom on what to do, how much to do, what appropriate boundaries. These folks do it this way. My kids say these people do it that way. What are we to do with our Mm -hmm. children? And I think that, in a lot of ways, is the biggest challenge. Once you know and know that you can parent your children, you are the parent Mm -hmm. of that child, and you have the right and authority to train them, equip them, you know, for their purpose here on earth, once that is clear in your heart, the next layer below that as you peel the onion on child training and rearing is the wisdom to make those decisions on an everyday basis. And that's when it's really, mm-hmm. really challenging. So what are you doing with yourself, you know, so you can make better decisions in raising your child? That's really nice. You know? It seems to go back to that blueprint where... If you don't have it, then when something comes up, you have to make a decision in the moment that mm-hmm. will be different the next time you do it and the exactly. next time because you've nothing to rely on. Nothing in life works like that. Mm. Finances don't work like that. Every decision's a new decision. No, you have a budget in place. You've got your finances in place. You have established the principles. Your business, you have a business plan in place. We're trying to get this accomplished. This opportunity comes up. That distraction comes up. Everything in life is like this. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying everything in our life has gone according to plan? That's a funny story. You know, we've had left and right turns. We moved as a family six times in 18 months due to a fire. And then a house we rented during the fire, the guy didn't make his payments and moving into another house that had mold. And we were homeschooling our kids. We have six of them. You move six times in 18 months. I mean, it was unbelievable. Mm. But at the end of the day, what are the principles you're teaching? And I think when you get to these big decisions, it's like, what are we teaching our kid right now? Okay, you don't feel like things are going good, whatever else, you're going to quit. Well, what are we teaching our kid right now? Many times we've been into something and pretty early on we realize this isn't going to be a fit. Now, if it's not an abusive situation or something that's going to tear them down long term, we say, okay, we all know we're not going to do this, but you committed to this for this season, so you're going to do it. Just yesterday, they had beach volleyball practice. Oh, I don't feel like going. Mm, Really? (laughs) Mm, I paid for this week, Monday (laughs) through Thursday. Today's Monday. So get ready. We're leaving in 10 minutes. Now, it could have been easy because I knew they were tired. I knew they had a long weekend. They had a tournament. And we talked about it before we signed up for this Mm -hmm. as far as going to practice. And so we went to practice just because, not out of punishment but because you gave your commitment we paid for this so we need to follow through and you put your name to that and you put your name to that yeah you told this coach and you made these commitments to these other people you're going to do this 
And if we do this now, we get good at quitting. And were they happy? No. When I was on the phone with them coming home to take them, did they say, okay, mom? No. It was kind of silent. I'm like, okay, say bye. Okay, bye. So, please yeah. and thank you. Yes. Please <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, Julie Poulin, I have four children, 19, 15, 10, and 7. My 19-year-old played sports in high school and excelled academically. He coaches now, is a licensed loan officer with my company. He's driven. He's finding his way every day. However, my other three lack drive and ambition. They dislike school and sports. They fear everything. I'd love to know how I can motivate these three to want more for themselves and want to live the good life. So young or not, they need to develop good habits now. I wish I would have known you two when I was growing up. I feel like I would have made many different decisions. That seems an appropriate question on the back of what you guys just talked about. Well, I would challenge a couple things, Julie, because, again, outside perspective is easy. It appears that your kids lack drive and ambition is what you're saying. The truth of the matter is they lack drive and ambition in the same way that your son does. Now, the key is what are their hot buttons? And here's the thing, you know, it's hard to go fight through this stuff. One of the reasons why is the tech stuff is very easy. I mean, here's the thing. It buys you time. Mm -hmm. It gives you peace. It creates space. The kids are more than happy to do it for hours and hours and hours and hours on end because it's it's like a slot machine. And there's no cigarette smoke and it doesn't cost you any money. It's like a slot machine of your attention. And it's designed that way. The fact is, you come alongside them. And the thing about it is, I don't believe as a person on the planet who lacks anything that they need. I think we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And they have everything inside them that they need. And here's the deal. They're 15, and they're 10, and they're 7. So they might not be whipping out the old Magna Carta as a 7-year-old and figuring out exactly what they want in life. They still think macaroni and cheese is a delicacy. And so you just got to be patient. Mm. You got to be patient. And you can't put a middle-aged head on a 10-year-old's body or a 15-year-old body. I mean, here's the thing. It just happens. Mm. It happens. Here's the thing. One of our older children the other day took a shower and got dressed and got into the car wet. He forgot to dry himself. Okay? He's able to drive a car. Mm. He forgot to dry himself. Minor detail. Before he put his clothes on. In a hurry. Okay? Now, I almost forgot to let his neck continue to hold up his head. The fact is, he's a kid. Uh-huh. And it's like, hey, dude, guess what? What, Dad? You know your ring and what? Really? You look at your back. What happened? I don't know. Did you dry off after you took a shower? Whoa. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nice. I mean, just whatever. And it's great stuff. It's great stuff. It's part of the deal. But you got to be patient with mm-hmm. it. And here's the thing. A Julie, no offense. But you're like, hey, I wish I would have made many decisions. I wish I'd have known you sooner. How many times have I heard that from clients? I wish I'd have met you sooner. I wish I'd have known you sooner. Here's the thing. Now that you've kind of got the light and you're writing goals and you're on par and you're doing your thing, it doesn't mean that, you know, these guys don't have the chance to go develop through that. Mm. So nice. everybody has something that they're made for. Every human being on the face of the planet has a purpose. And I believe it's our job as parents to help cultivate our kids prepare our kids to fulfill that purpose and that purpose might not be revealed until after we're dead you know you're building a cathedral and you know the cathedral in uh, Spain I went to see a few years ago and it was it started in the middle 1800s and it's going to be finished in a couple of years from now mm-hmm. there were many many architects and many many builders who never got to see the completion of it and that's the way it is with our kids yeah and I agree with that I those words that you say in there Julie I wish those are such strong words because it just actually speaks of regret mm-hmm. or only if I did this and not only with your children, but as we talked about also in the previous podcast, as far as spouses drifting apart, and this could be opportunity to drift apart from your children mm-hmm. and lose their hearts also because you're doing so many things separately, differently, don't know how to connect with them. And I think just like with your spouse, the thing to do is to find out what their interest is, you know, yes. what all your kids' interests are, and get involved. If it takes a day, if it takes a year, if it takes 10 years, 
because it's worth it, you know, to keep their hearts or learn what they're all about to try to motivate them and inspire them. And you never know where along mm-hmm. the way that you're going to tap in to their interest. That's great. Yes. Does it get frustrating sometimes? Do you get mad? Do you think it's never going to change? Absolutely. I know I've done that. I've told Brian many a days when they were young, I sat behind the door in the bathroom with the lights off, just crying because I'm like, what do I do? How do I change these guys? Mm-hmm. You know, and just like with Brian, there's no way I can change Brian, even though I've tried. I can't change my kids. I can influence Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. I can encourage them. I can show interest in what they're interested in. But it's work, and it's not a magic wand Mm -hmm. that you can wave. But just to be engaged with them, and the I wishes need to change into I can, Mm -hmm. we will, because there's always hope you have today. If we've learned something new, implement it, you know, put it into practice because other people are doing it. We can do it. It's been done before and the changes can be made. Yeah. That's awesome, Bev. I mean, like I said, you don't really do small talk. (laughs) (laughs) Just be careful about questions you ask around Beverly Buffini is my advice. Peggy Uriaf. Hi, Brian. My husband and I have five kids, 10 to a one and a half year old. What are your best tips for managing the chaos of a large family? You guys wouldn't know anything about that. No, no. Well, first of all, I think the big thing here, Peggy, is Beverly and I are wired up differently. And what she thinks is chaos and what I think are chaos are two different things. (laughs) My total chaos is her warm-up appetizer. (laughs) And so, you know, we have to kind of reevaluate all the time. I ask all the time, why are we doing this? Like, why are we doing this? To go back to the blueprint. Like, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. Because what happens is, let's say, I'll talk sports academics, anything. Everyone else will have an agenda. Oh, you know what? Your son could play uh, travel basketball and then he could do this and then he can go to college and he can play best and he'd be in the pros and that, and people go, ooh. And off to the races we go. Mm-hmm. And we turn around and ask ourselves, is that what we want? Is that what they want? It's very easy. And it's very intoxicating. And a lot of times you can start stuff and kind of dabble with things and then all of a sudden you realize, man, there's a big commitment here and there's all these impositions here and by the way we're already on par to do some things and you know we've definitely had the seasons where we were doing the double chauffeur we have all six kids who thankfully the twins are into a lot of the same things Mm -hmm. but you're talking about each kid was into two or three different activities well the next thing you know all you're doing is driving people to and from things Hmm. and it's easy not to connect it's easy just in the chauffeur and the busyness, and it's just this whirlwind. Mm-hmm. You know, gymnastics was an example of this. Our daughter, Anna, won the state championship as a nine-year-old, and they are recruiting her, and she's going to be the next Olga Corbett and this and that and the other, and it's this treadmill, and you got to do this, and of course we do this, and then we send the kids away to Dallas, Texas, to the pre-Olympic training center, and they live with a host family, and they do this for six months, and like, huh? Hmm. We're going to send our 10-year-old Where? And we had a conversation with a coach back in Texas, and he said, just so you know, in 10 years, no family has ever turned me down with this offer. Like, you got to be out of your cotton pick mm-hmm. in mind. We're going to have someone else raise the kids because they're good at gymnastics? Now, what did we do? Oh, hang on, time out. Let's take a look at this. And for us, we looked at the sport and the injuries and the psychological stuff that was going on wherever else. We go, we got to do something different. Yeah. Made a hard decision. Made a hard decision. So that's an example there uh, on the big picture of making sure that all the stuff you're doing, there's not unnecessary chaos. Now, I think you can speak to it because you live in it every hour of the day. And she's a working realtor. Right. She does a great job. She's got a bunch of kids. Right. Well, you know, Peggy, I'm, I'm actually not sure if you're talking about the activity chaos or the attitude chaos. Because <laughs> there is a lot of chaos in a home with five children from ages 10 to one and a half. Um, There could be the rebellion chaos, how to get along with each other chaos. So there's many things. And I'd say one thing, how we try to squelch the chaos in our home is we have family times, Mm -hmm. like a family meeting to regroup, take Mm -hmm. a time out, 
you know, I know your children are younger, but even at that age, you can still create some family activities, game nights, um, mm-hmm. game nights and things like that to make sure we're all on the same page. Nice. And a lot of times you think it's happening in families, but it's not because we are going so many places and we're so young and mm-hmm. so much is happening, which just creates chaos and the husband's working or the wife's working or the mom's working and it's just happening, you know, and so the thing to do is to implement or somewhere in the week, maybe even somewhere in the day, we used to have family devotions, you know, when they were really little at times just to regroup at nighttime to add a little bit of calmness to our days when dad was home or things like that. So there could be chaos in so many areas, but like even with the activities, again, back to the framework, the blueprint, what do we want to achieve? Well, I also would say this. The number one thing that every child in the world craves is consistency. Mm-hmm. Without question, you want to really meet the need of your kid is you meet it with consistency. So your principles are consistent, your discipline is consistent, mm-hmm. your decisions are consistent, and there needs to be things that are consistent. So a lot of families today, you know, feel this burden. I grew up in a home where mom had the meal on at 5 o'clock and everybody sat around the table and had a meal. And we know today that that's not happening for many families. So rather than beat yourself up and say, okay, I'm not having the sit-down meal with the family every night, which is the optimal, Mm. is um, can you do it one night a week? Is there one time on the weekend? Like our kids know there are certain things that we have as a family. There are certain days and there are certain times that even though they're teenagers or, you know, our son comes back from college with his wife and he has his own household now, but he knows the days that he can plug into our family where he knows – you know, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, he knows a Saturday night dinner. You know, he knows what we're doing. In the summertime, we're barbecuing on Saturday nights. And they just know when to plug in. And with all the activities and all the games and everything else we got going on, it's very hard. Very hard. Mm-hmm. We've, had, we've had seasons where it's four or five months. And from Monday to Friday, we haven't sat down and had a meal together. It's mm-hmm. in a restaurant. It's after a game. I mean, whatever. I mean, if, we've, if you have practices and yeah. yada, yada. And again, Beverly can sit here and she'd, she'd be willing to beat herself up over it. But, you know, we've got six kids in four different sports doing activities and games and whatever. You, you know, it doesn't I've, happen. I've seen you guys on the road. I've, well, I've had to drive behind you sometimes <laughs> just to get some work done. To make sure. Shouting Here's in the, the window. We've always come home with the same number of children we left with. Well, AJ and Nicole are back in San Diego right now living here. And AJ was at home the other night helping Dad break down a pool table that we're getting rid of. So I went down because I was preparing for this. And I asked the children. They were all there helping Dad out. And I said, okay. Let me know. You know, I'm working on something here, kids. Can you tell me what meant a lot to you growing up? What did we do well as Mm -hmm. parents? And the number one thing, and starting out with AJ's, he says consistency. Mm -hmm. Being consistent in what you expected of us. Wow. Amazing. So. So I think, you know, for Peggy, you might not control the whole chaos, but can you control one night of a weekend? You know, one breakfast in the morning. One, you know, just something. Because here's the thing. you got five kids. People walk into our home. We have two washers and dryers, okay, for the clothes, Mm -hmm. all right? We have two dishwashers. I mean, we've never had a house in 20 years that didn't have two washers and dryers. I mean, it's a lot of laundry. It's a lot of cleaning. You know, we go to the grocery store, and people are like, whoa. And we're like, (laughs) this is for tonight. You know? I mean, we're like the... We we go into Costco, it's like a, an elephant train. You know what I mean? We drive two Suburbans to Costco, okay? And I have two carts, and she has two carts, and they're like, uh, and we're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. You're stocking up for the winter. Say, no, we'll see you in an hour. So, you know, it's different. Yeah. It is different. It's cool. It's the greatest thing in the world. But, you know, what can you bring order to, and what can be consistent, and what can you execute on every week? Mm. And if you get an every into a child's life, boy, they like it. Even when they're rolling their eyes, okay, yeah, stupid. You know, great. They love it. Nice. They love it. Yeah. We put out the request for questions on social media on uh, family and relationships, but a lot of questions came back related just to kids and mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. So we'll, I, there's a couple more questions, and then we'll go a little broader. Carl Miller wanted to know, how do you reconcile the life pressure of providing for your family by producing income, paying the bills, when your family needs or wants you at home during key production times, <laughs> nights and weekends, of course, for realtors. Self-employed mm. people, yeah. Mm. Well, obviously, I live that. You know, we had to live it 
in our life, especially with the more dramatic version of me being on the road traveling. And when I first started the company, it was Beverly who saw me speak mm-hmm. at a conference and said, you have a gift, you've got to go do this. Now, not normally a good thing when your wife tells you to hit the road, <laughs> but she also knew what was in store for her when she said that, at least to some degree. So a good rule of thumb is when your values are clear, your decisions are easy. So, for example, as you know, in 2001, I bought a, a jet, not because I wanted to get on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And for a company our size at the time, it was a very significant commitment. But mm-hmm. here's what it did. It created 54 more days home a year for the next 15 years. I averaged 54 days home a year more than if I'd have flown commercially. Now, I know everybody's not in a position to do that, but it was a putting your chips on the table and I'm making a commitment. The thing about it is, especially for guys, and, and I'm not surprised a guy asked that question. I know Carl's a good man. Many times in the roles, men feel like they need to provide, and the only way they're supposed to provide is economically. By the way, it's a way we're comfortable with, and it's a role that's very easy to fall into. The truth of the matter is, providing economically is one of the smaller ways that men are designed to provide. The way I view it is, my number one goal is to provide the culture in our home based on a culture of love, and that's my job. That's my number one job. My number one job to love my kids is to love my wife. And then in loving my wife is to love my kids. And so, again, when your values are clear, your decisions are easy. Mm. So I understand there's an economic pressure, but here's the thing. The kids would, even though they won't say it, the kids would rather have last year's iPhone and last year's BMX bike, let me date myself, and have you home or be there. Or even a child in rebellion wants to know that you're worried about them then you go and make an extra 10 grand. Mm. So the thing is, it's a balancing act. I have done too much work. I have also done, A, I've cut it off to the point Beverly's like, don't you have somewhere to travel to? It's time to go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Honey, it's been great, but it's I'm sure nice, there's got to be a conference room full of people that need to hear you. For you. Yeah. Yes. They were actually more interested in hearing this stuff than I am right now. I do love you, but... <laughs> You got to go. <laughs> and so it's a balancing act. And you have to balance that. And, you know, a lot of times what happens is when people are working, they feel guilty when they're not with their kids. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is then I'm going to supplement it by giving my kids resources or things they want and so on and so forth, you know. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's just not the desire of the kid's heart. They'll take the gifts. They'll take the car. They'll take whatever you give them. They'll even tell you that's what they want. But I think the thing is always to pursue their heart. And I think that's the most important thing to provide. And at the end of the day, you come to an agreement with your family and say, what do we need? What do we want to do? How do we achieve? And then what what is good at home? I mean, if it's a bedtime story, if it's at all the ball games, that's good. Yeah. And it's again, it may not happen in a day or one night, but over time. And if you can do one new thing, you know, in the week that coincides with what your family vision is. And that's saying that you do have a family vision and a plan, then that's good. Don't Mm. beat yourself up. I think it's wonderful that he, as well as other people, want to provide for their family and take care of them. But now that the world has expanded or he wants more for his family and with family relationships, one thing a week, you know, Mm -hmm. talk about it, plan it and do it over time. You know, that harmony, any harmony doesn't come by trying to cram things. It comes by gentleness and action and taking action. Nice. Yeah. Let's switch tack here. Leslie Nielsen wants to know, how do you deal with compromise if one or both of you feel strongly as to your side or your position? Mm. I never feel strongly about anything. (laughs) Well, a great example would be homeschooling. So I would say this, and again, let me throw a grenade in the middle of the living room here. I believe I'm called to lead my family. Now, that doesn't fit with the societal positions today and how feminism works and so on and so forth. Now, let me show you how it works for me. Beverly felt very strongly about homeschooling our kids. I felt very strongly about not homeschooling our kids. And we had a series of discussions about it. When we got back to what we keep saying, our blueprint, and what we were trying to achieve and what we are trying to accomplish, Beverly was like, I believe... In my heart, this is the way for us best to achieve that. And I said, okay. And so here's the thing. From the minute I said, okay, that's it. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have second thoughts. I've had second thoughts 
every year for the last 24 years since we decided to do that. Mm-hmm. However, the minute we do that and the minute we made that decision, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do everything in my power to see that her strategy that she believes in works. Mm. I am 100% willing to be wrong. And it's not a case of right or wrong. She feels strong about it. She's willing to step up and do it. She was going to have to get involved in this in a big way. And I said, okay, and who else can we get to support? Let's not go alone. You know, what else is out there? What are the resources? I wanted the kids to participate in things activity-wise. Well, we found it. It was a lot harder. It was a lot more difficult choice we made. There was a lot of things that uh, are easy in the system that were very hard outside the system. Right. Our son, if he'd gone to a public school or a private school, would have had 50 college scholarship offers. He went a route that was much more difficult to end up playing Division One football, for example. And I can give you many other examples like that. However, it was about seven years into it, and I said to her, hey, in one of our morbid conversations, I said, if anything ever happened to you, just so you know, I would continue to homeschool the kids. Hmm. So that's an example where... She felt very strongly one way. I felt very strongly the other. We went back. We looked at what we were trying to accomplish, and mm. I said, okay. And so in leading the home, I said, we're going to do it your way. And then fully committed to support, 100%, all in. I mean, certainly no lack of support in every aspect of that. So I think, you know, you got to discuss things through. you got to try to negotiate through. There's times to compromise, but there's times, like to homeschool or not to homeschool, there's no compromise. That's a decision you're going to make. Mm. And again, uh, I think you put one another's interests first. We have this common goal. We have this common purpose. We have this common mission to be this kind of family and to leave this kind of a legacy. Mm. And for our children, we said we're raising our grandchildren right now from the day they were born. And so the dynamic then is make those decisions accordingly. So that's an example where we had a difference of opinion on a major thing. We have different opinions on little things all the time. And there are. And there, yeah, all the time. But, you know, there are a lot of times where I do have opinions and thoughts and Brian thinks totally opposite or differently than that. And it's at those times, yes, there is discussions, but ultimately because of our blueprint, our framework on how we want our marriage to look, I actually submit to his leading. I mean, that's my desire always, but a lot of times I do not get my way. And I say that because the other side of that is I do not get my way and I don't hold it against him or I'm not resentful. It's a part of building a relationship, going back to what he said, is dying to self, Mm. you know? And as a result of that, we just grow stronger together you know, some things we do have to let go. Mm-hmm. Life isn't easy. It she just doesn't, is not She doesn't get her way all the way. But I will say that my father gave me some advice before we got married. And Bev knows my father's a very quiet man, doesn't say very much. But he came to me the week before we got married and he says, I want to have a chat with you. And I'm like, all right, this is great. <laughs> and he goes, um, I want you to know that your mother and I, before we got married, we decided that I would make all the important decisions and your mother would make all the non-important decisions. And I just want you to know, in 47 years of marriage, I haven't had an important decision to make. So <laughs> it works out very well for me too, Johnny nice. Boy. we got a ton more questions, but I'm only going to ask a couple more questions of you guys. Thanks so much for all this time today. It's been oh, absolutely welcome. awesome. Our pleasure. Tom Crilly. Hi, Brian. I'm engaged. I'll be getting married next year. What would be the top few pieces of advice you could give for me and my fiance? Thanks. Mm-hmm. And that's to both of you, actually, not, mm-hmm. just, not just you, Brian. Well, I know people are probably sitting here going, what's the blueprint? Can you send us an email with your blueprint? You know, it's next. No is the answer. You know, decide what it is you want. Decide what it is you admire in other people. You know, decide what it is you admire in your parents, grandparents, friends. You know, one of the things that influenced us was we started looking for families that Mm -hmm. we admired. And when we started looking for families we admired, we take a little piece here and a little Mm -hmm. piece there and a little piece here. And we built our own. Nice. You know, what's important to us? Mm. You know, we wanted to have kids that were very productive, useful parts of the community. You know, that they were trained as kids not just to be academics or not just to be insular to themselves, but that they would be very, very useful people. And so, you know, like a decision like that influences a lot of little decisions you end up making. Mm. You know, oh, this is great and this summer camp is great and this is great and they get to hang with their buddies and do this. 
Okay, how is that making them useful people? Mm. And so sometimes, again, your values are clear, your decisions are easy. It's like put these things down that you're hoping for. And here's the thing. We reevaluated for years. Now, we haven't, truthfully. Bev pulled out the blueprint here this morning in preparation for it. It was kind of fun. Some of this stuff here, we're looking at here. This was the last revised version of this was in 2004. And what I was doing, I was looking at it because we used to revisit this every week, every month, every year. We made changes. We tweaked. We take out a word. We put other things in here. And we're sitting here today. And i got to be honest with you. Again, Lord willing, we're still in the journey here. But there was a whole bunch of things we were hoping for. And it's come about. But we haven't had to revisit this document since 2004. You know, we disciplined our kids when they were young. We took care of a lot of that when they're young. There's an awful lot of it is done then. Mm-hmm. You know, you do the hard work up front. I know there's people listening who may not have done the hard work up front or in a blended family where one side of the family didn't do the hard work and now you're left with the tough consequence. But, you know, there's today. And what do you want now? And what's possible now? Mm. And it's not what Dr. Phil says or what Oprah says is possible or what anybody else says or even what the Buffini say is possible. It's what do you believe is possible for your family? And have that desire and have that optimistic goal and then go pursue it. The thing is, there's a price to be paid. And is it a price you're willing to pay? Hmm. I'll say here and say, for me, you can take away everything that I've ever been a part of accomplishing. But my wife and kids, that's the only thing that really matters. That's the only thing that really counts. You know, been a part of a lot of things and helping a lot of people for my life's work. But my life's work is secondary to the heart of my life, which is my wife and kids. And at the end of the day, that's worth whatever price you pay for it. Nice. Hmm. I got two more for you guys. Uh, Thomas Nelson, he's here in San Diego. Brian, you traveled a lot during your marriage in the early days. How do you and Bev reconnect emotionally when you're apart for periods of time? Uh, The reason I ask is my bride works for an airline and is gone 15 to 20 days a month we live separate lives in which she's gone and then we can find it a little difficult to resync when she's back especially when her days don't sync with mine her days off so they're 14 years married still in love got an 18 year old son off to college so mm. how do you resync I'd say one of the things that we often did was we made sure we stayed involved with what's going on mm. in each other's lives I would call him and let him know what's going on. And you know what? Honestly, people are in the same household at times, and they're like roommates Mm -hmm. because they aren't staying connected. They aren't communicating. So the first thing I would say is that the distance usually isn't the problem. It can be, though, because, I mean, it it just is. It's Mm -hmm. a part of it, but it doesn't have to be the problem. Mm -hmm that keeps you from communicating and staying on the same page. So just personally with what we did, I would say just stay connected by learning and staying engaged with the other person's interest, finding out what's going on, be vulnerable, stay vulnerable to one another, just communicate as much as possible, be as clear as possible, be as honest as possible, share struggles that you're going through because when you're apart physically, it's hard to say I'm dealing with this or, you know, I've made a mistake here, you know, because you think it's all covered over or they don't care anyways because we aren't physically seeing each other. But you have to take on that responsibility to realize how important this relationship is and this is something I really need to do if I want it to continue to stay strong. That's great. And I thought it was a big thing. You know, it was these big conversations we needed to have or whatever else. You know, when I started texting, hey, you know, I'm in a break in the seminar, just want you to know. Just I'm thinking about you. Yep, you're the best. Just little. Little things like that in conversation. And this is where today's tech does help. Mm. You're able to Skype, you're able to FaceTime. And we do it all the time. Yeah. And uh, the number of times we FaceTime and, you know, she's in a gym and I'm on an airplane or whatever else. I mean, that's just we do it and have done it. And I think what Beverly brings up a huge point is that there's people who aren't traveling, but they're miles apart. Right. In the same and that, in our world today, everything is designed for isolation. Mm. Everything is designed for isolation. Computers are designed for isolation. We do it. Beverly gets locked in. I get concentrating. Next thing you know, I look up. It's 11 o'clock. Mm. Yeah. I came in here to check a couple emails at 8. It's easy to do. Mm -hmm. TV is that way. Mm -hmm. The tech stuff is that way. Social media, the games, the Instagrams, the Facebook. 
and everything else. It's easy to get no. caught up in it. It's easy to check out, numb out. Guys go to ESPN. The women go to the, you know, the whatever. Anybody does the sports. Anybody can do the shows. Anyone can do the reality TV. Mm. And the it's thing about it is out. when you're together, mm. what's it all about? Mm. You know, the little things, the minute fractions, mm. the smiles, you know, the touching, the little things. You know, when you're back together, mm. are you reinforcing? Are you building yourself up to go back out? Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, you've got one last question from Kathy Singh, and Kathy alludes to uh, something you guys talked about in the last podcast a couple of weeks ago. It it went live, where you talked about taking timeouts when things escalate. <laughs> so, what's your best advice for when things get heated? How can you bring them back down? Mm-hmm. Actually, one of our challenges as a couple is that we connect so quickly; it's easy to neglect that. Mm. So, for example, we didn't. You know, we had so much going on. We didn't do the date night every week for a long time. Uh, we'd catch us, catch can, and whatever else. And, and we're also the kind of people that w- we go to dinner and the kids are around. Let's go. And we'd bring the kids with us because we love that. It's mm-hmm. great stuff. But um, I think the the date night is a great thing. Again, don't make a religion of it. So you don't love me because we didn't go for you know <laughs> shrimp salad last Friday. And people get to that right, and they keep lists of that. But I think the date night is great. I used to do the whole, okay, you know, tell me what I can do to be a better man, a better husband, a better father. I would ask that question. And she actually wouldn't answer it initially. She had to really know that it was a safe place to really, that I wasn't going to defend myself or whatever Mm -hmm. else and ask that question. Now, I will encourage any man listening. She would then say to me, what can I do to be a better woman, a better (laughs) wife, a better mother? And there is an answer to that. And the answer is nothing. Mm. Okay, <laughs> nothing. So we would have those discussions early. Yeah. You know, I think a little bit over time is good. I think a little bit of bad news over time is good. Kind of reminds me of a story, you know, it's an old Irish story. The fellow is going away on vacation, and his his favorite, closest person in his life is his dog Fido. And he, he calls up Paddy, and he says, okay, I'm going to France for a month. I'll check back in with you once a week. And... So he goes away and he calls his friend up and he goes, hey, Paddy, what's up? And he goes, um, I got bad news for you, Fido died. He's like, what? He goes, yeah, he just fell off the roof and he died right here in the yard. And he's just devastated. He goes, my God, that's terrible. That's unbelievable. And he goes, how can you just drop it on me like that? Do you have no feelings? Do you have no heart? He goes, what could I have done? And he goes, well, maybe you could have broke it to me gently. When I called up today, you could have said, you know, I can't find Fido. And then I'd call in four or five days. And he said, well, you know, Fido's up on the roof. And then I'd call a couple of days later. and say, I'm sorry, Fido fell off the roof. And you could have let me down gently. He goes, I'm terribly sorry. And he goes, just a little bit of bad news on a regular basis is better. And he says, okay. So he goes back to his vacation. And a week later, he calls and uh, he says, hey, is everything okay with the house? He goes, yeah. Now, your mother's up on the roof right now. <laughs> so the deal is, you know, a little bit over an extended uh-huh. period of time is better than one big confrontation or ultimatum. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people who don't like confrontation, what happens is it, it gets into passive aggressiveness. So guess what? That's just lemon juice on a paper cut. That's tearing the Band-Aid off a hairy arm very slowly. And I just say, you know, there's a good book out there called Crucial Conversations which I think is great. It's a business book, but I think it's great for anybody. I think you have to learn to have crucial conversations. We've had a lot of them mm-hmm. where yeah. I've shared, okay, honey, here, here's where I'm coming from. And she's come, okay, but here's, here's how this makes me feel. And I think the key is to get to those crucial conversations before they become crisis conversations. So a little bit of bad news. The dog is missing. The dog's on the roof before the dog's in the, in the grave, if you know what I mean. Nice. Nice. Well, we have lots more questions, and maybe for a future podcast. Uh, I know in uh, a few months we're going to be doing another series with you guys on uh, parenting with purpose. But for today, thank you so much to both of you, Brian and Beverly Buffini. You're welcome. Um, I'm sure for those of you who haven't heard these guys before, you now know they are, um, they've got a few things to share. <laughs> Some help hopefully was offered today. Awesome stuff. Brian, I'm going to throw it back to you for the Irish blessing as we always like to finish out the show. Sure. And again, I hope whoever is listening to this takes in the spirit of what it was given today, which is uh, we don't have all the answers for every family. We have a plan for ours. And uh, that's what we hope for anybody who's listening. Kids are far more resilient than you think. And no matter what state your family is or your kids are in, they're always looking to you 
they can always learn from you whether they will admit it or not and uh, keep working on yourself keep being the best person you can be and I believe uh, you'll have a profound impact on your kids for generations to come so hopefully there's something in this podcast for someone today eat the meat throw away the bones and I hope you enjoyed at least uh, if nothing else the songs and the stories helped out so let me leave you with an Irish blessing I want you to think about this that was handed down by my grandfather on my mother's side now it's a famous thing that's said in Ireland but this is again a principle that was handed down from generation to generation that my kids know and it's a blessing it's a wish and it's a hope so I hope everyone listening today knows I mean this and Beverly and I together we mean this for everyone listening for you and yours and your family so may the roads rise up to meet you that means your travels are good May the wind always be at your back. May you get some good momentum and things go your way. May the rain fall soft upon your fields. That means you prosper. And the sunshine warm upon your face means you enjoy it. And until we meet again, which I hope we do, may God hold you in the hollow of his hands. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.